Hey guys, how we doing? It's Jawad with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. And yes, I'm <laughs> a week late. Didn't do the Azerbaijan Grand Prix review as would have been the case last week. But, you know, life happens. We were in the middle of a lockdown or coming out of a lockdown. I can't even remember what number we're up to now. It's like the fourth one or something. Um, and just, yeah, general life admin stuff, so I thought I'd mash it all together, um, on this week's episode, do Azerbaijan, it feels like it's been a while since that race anyway, so, um, it'll be a bit of a refresher for everyone that that did, that race did exist, sorry for the Max Verstappen fans who, um, still pretty upset about that outcome, but you've got to be happy, uh, because, there was no points lost to, to Hamilton in the championship, so that's that's one good thing to take away from it. And then we got just a lot of racing on this weekend too, which is great. We've got the French Grand Prix, we've got uh, MotoGP in Germany, IndyCar, V8 Supercars as well, uh, Formula E there in Mexico, so all racing happening this weekend under the sun. So your um, subscriptions or however you watch your racing, it'll be um, getting getting a workout this weekend. So yeah, um, let's get into it. And looking back at Baku now, as I said, what well, it's been two weeks and kind of gets out of your mind after, you know, you have other stuff going on and everything. It just kind of takes a back seat and you kind of forget about the race that did happen. So we'll try and recap it as good as we can on this one. So basically, yeah, it was a chaotic conclusion that saw Max Verstappen crash out of the lead. Lewis Hamilton as well had the opportunity going into turn one on the red flag restart, but locked up and went the other way. And it gifted um, Checo Perez his first win as a Red Bull driver. And I don't want to say gifted in the sense that, you know, he just... He did a Bradbury or whatever, because, you know, that's like an insult, in my opinion, that you did a Stephen Bradbury. But he had his best weekend as a Red Bull driver. I think he was really quick. Um, he was up there supporting Max, and they were all but assured a Red Bull 1-2 finish, you know, which something which is something they haven't done for, for Yonks anyway. So instead, we had these two tie blowouts, headline the race there for not only Max but for Lance Stroll as well. Pirelli came out and said immediately that they reckon it's to do with debris which let's be f- quite frank and I know at the time when this race happened that it was very heated and people had a lot of opinions about it but Baku's a track that's not a stranger to debris flying on to the circuit you know and given how windy it was as well during the race and it was considerably windy from what everyone was able to see um things just fly on they're in the middle of a city you know and um when these things happen it's just you can't really point the finger at the tire supply you can't point the finger at the driver um now a week later or two weeks later um Pirelli have actually come out and said you know the both the failures was um, no production or quality defect, nor was there any sign of fatigue or delamination. That's what the official statement says. So they're not only saying that, yeah, it's not a Pirelli problem. It wasn't, you know, uh, a a tyre defect or whatever, but nor did the teams actually put a lot of um, stress on them, like some suggested. So I when I saw that, I was like, that's preposterous because 
it's pretty preposterous. <laughs> um, that's absolutely silly because what they'd done like 30 laps on the hard tyre and given the, the fact that the hard tyre in Baku was the C3 compound which is normally a soft tyre in um, other races uh, I thought yeah it was it was a bit absurd but then again you know so is the fact that you know oh, it's, it's Pirelli's fault we're building a dodgy tyre you know there's a reason why they're using two-year-old compound tyres or a year-old compound tyres is because you know the new tyres, the teams were not happy, the drivers were not happy with them, so why not just use the older compounds, they're tried and tested, and we haven't had really very many problems apart from, let's say, Silverstone last year, where, you know, the loads were a bit too much, and they ended up having the blowout that they did at the end of that race, so we'll put that one under the bed, um, or put that one to bed, I should say, immediately and say yep basically you know we just blame the debris we've seen it happen before with Valtteri Bottas there a few years ago as well taking having the race taken away from him right at the end of it so I see no difference between that and this and it was good to see both drivers walk away from this one too um, both high speed incidents both on the pit straight and um, basically just left bruised egos and um, a lot of lost championship points, even for, for the likes of Aston Martin, who were doing quite well in that respect as well. So let's go through qualifying. And again, Ferrari stunned for pole position. Charles Leclerc was able to pull a lap out of the bag. There was four red flags in qualifying. So we had one for Lance Stroll who just had a pretty error-strewn weekend and a weekend where Aston Martin did quite well. No criticism of Lance, but it just he was quite unlucky with the way things turned out for him. He crashed out in Q1, um, so did Antonio Giovinazzi, so both of them triggering separate red flags. Uh, you had Daniel Ricciardo crash out in Q2, which was a bit unfortunate given that we were expecting good things from him that weekend. And then in um, Q3, Pretty much at the same time, the same spot, you had Yuki Tsunoda go off and then Carlos Sainz kind of just um, gets caught underwears and has follows him off too. So that caused the fourth and final red flag of the session that pretty much stopped um, Q3 in its tracks. But by then we already had that pole lap for Leclerc. Um, Lando Norris unfortunately got into a bit of trouble. He was penalised three positions and three penalty points as well for not coming into the pits during the red flag. So if you watch the replay of that tape, um, I think it was during Q2 where red flag comes out and he's going at a rate of knots um, down the pit straight and it was too late for him to come into the pit lane at that speed he was going. So he asked the question of his team, they said keep going round and in the end it cost him a three-place grid penalty for the race on Sunday but more kind of harshly it was the three points on his uh, license, FIA super license that got him up to eight points now and I think if you get to 12 you get a ban um, for a race and um, the points do reset uh, every 12 months so hopefully he stays out of trouble and doesn't get close to that but it's the it seems to be the British drivers that are up there if you look at that list of um, penalty points and you know Hamilton's up there too George Russell's up there so obviously they're doing something wrong that the stewards don't like or maybe the stewards just don't like Brits who knows but then again um, there is quite a few Brits on the the stewarding panel so yeah, makes no sense. Anyway, um, uh, and love to all, all, all my British listeners and everything. You guys are great. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, Max was only third in qualifying. Lewis put in an amazing lap for P2. And that, I think, is important to highlight. Um, and I it's, it was interesting looking back now, a couple of weeks after the race, that it was a horrible weekend again for Mercedes. And I was saying before <laughs> Baku that, oh, you know, Mercedes don't botch two weekends in a row. Surely they're going to have a great weekend there in Azerbaijan. No, they had two really bad weekends. And Hamilton kind of was the only um, silver lining for them because Bottas just completely nowhere again, which we'll get to a bit later, and the car just did not seem at home on this track, which was really interesting given that, you know, the high speed, sorry, um, the high speed nature of the straights and everything would have suited them, but it was just to do with tyre windows again, the temperatures were too hot, but he put in an amazing lap in Q3 to go P2 you know, ahead of Max, so that was setting up an interesting battle between those two come the race. Um, Leclerc led before Hamilton passed quite early on, um, but then when he pitted on lap 12, which was quite early, uh, it was a bit of a slow stop due to Pierre Gasly coming down the pits too, so Hamilton got held in the box a bit longer, and as a result, Max was able to jump ahead uh, when he pitted the next time round, and Perez, he qualified sixth, but ended up coming out of the pit stop cycle just behind Max and also um, ahead of Lewis. So that would have made things a lot worse in the uh, Mercedes garage. Sebastian Vettel, important to note out that he was leading on the soft tyre. So he was able to go quite long into that stint with the soft tyre. His teammate Stroll started on the hard tyres and went to the point that he got to in the race before he um, was out of it. So Max ended up extending that lead. Lewis putting the pressure on Perez, then lap 31 is where we get that safety car um, for Lance Stroll on the straight. So, you know, 31 laps on the hard tyre, you would have thought that that would have been walk in the park, and indeed it was, so basically just, yeah, going back to the de debris thing, so unfortunate there for Lance, because, you know, Aston really pulled off the, um, or, or was close to pulling off a strategy masterstroke with both cars, so... You know, unfortunately, with Stroll, he was out. Um, pit lane was also closed as well, given how close the crash was to the pit entry. So um, no one could come in and do a tyre change or anything. But when the restart came, you had Seb, who, let's say, he qualified 11th. He made a demon restart. It was like watching Sebastian Vettel of old, who got up two spots into P4. He had seven-lap younger, harder tyres at this point too. Um Someone who didn't get the good restart was Bottas, who dropped out of the top 10 altogether. He couldn't get his tyres warmed up, and also having older rubber as well. So I think the Alfa Romeos got past him too. And then while the race did restart, it was lap 46 that saw it turned on its head completely with Max having the blowout on the pit straight. So given that we're so close to the end of the race, um, Max is out of it. Uh, the cars have to go through the pit lane um, under the safety car because of the crash was on the actual main straight or well, kind of adjacent to the pit lane. And then the decision came on lap 48 to eventually red flag the race. So there was a bit of scrutiny because there was the decision made to do a two-lap sprint to the end with a standing restart. Um, I don't know why you would have scrutinised it. It actually made it quite entertaining. Um, what was entertaining too was hearing the um, 
team radio communications between the uh, pit wall and race control with Michael Massey as well. I think Massey was talking to someone at McLaren about, you know, drivers that weren't or exceeding speed limits under the safety car and Massey basically saying, yeah, but you were doing the same too, so shut up. (laughs) Great. Love that attitude. And it's quite entertaining to hear um, the communication between teams and race control as well. So good little feature there from from F1. And I think um, it's going to make it things a bit more entertaining so getting back into the race then we had Checo lead away Lewis locked up and apparently it was to do with some magic button that he didn't press or he pressed that he shouldn't have pressed and basically just went right at the or yeah went right at the left corner (laughs) um turn one you had Seb up into p2 Pierre Gasly up into p3 um Leclerc on that final lap attacking Gasly with DRS but uh, Gasly stays ahead. Lando gets himself in there too. So great little comeback there from Lando after that three-place grid penalty. But it stayed the same, the order. We had Checo, we had Seb, we had Pierre. What a happy podium, you know. Um, especially Checo, you know, the criticism that he's come under within five races or not even the first five races, just like the first two races of being at Red Bull that he's not up there. He's not, you know, doing it, you know, Albon would have been better or whoever would have been better. (laughs) Just, he said he needed five races to get into his groove. He's had his five races and look, he's, he's won a race now. And if, if Max would have stayed in it, he would have finished second, which we would have still praised him for because at the end of the day Red Bull are reading leading the constructors championship you know they've got a nice lead there now because the fact they were able to score points on this day and Mercedes weren't and they were able to score the maximum too so any Checo critics now I think will go silent for a while hopefully there's already talks of Checo getting a new deal for next year as well which I think would be perfect given the fact that we don't really have any other junior Red Bull drivers that are burgeoning or on the verge of um, trying to get up there and unfortunately for Pierre Gasly that's a bit of a (laughs) um, damning statement and I think the world of Pierre I think he's you know easily a top five driver at the moment for me but you know he won't fit back into that Red Bull system, unfortunately. I think he can do wonders at other teams, and, you know, that result that he achieved today, again, just the silent achiever, I think. You know, last year he was a silent achiever. He let his results do the talking, and he picked up, you know, that win there in Monza. He's already picked up a podium this season. He's doing really good things in that Alpha Tauri car, so, you know, that's, that's basically it, you know, so... Checo, the criticism should be off. Gasly, he'll never receive criticism ever again unless he goes to a big team and flops. But again, that's, you know, I think a testament if you look at the two drivers. Checo, he was given that chance early on in his career to go to a big team and unfortunately underperformed. And that was not because of him as well. You know, McLaren had their own problems at the time. But you don't want someone like Pierre to go to a big team again, you know, and be burnt out like he did with that first year with Red Bull or the half year that he got. So I think, you know, he's got to develop himself into that complete driver like Checo did for years in the midfield before he can get that ultimate opportunity. So hopefully, yeah, it won't be too um, far around the corner. And for Seb too, what a great result, you know, all the criticism that he cops as well. And I think, you know, to 
get the podium with Aston Martin. They've not had the greatest start to this season. You had that um, flaw, low rake, high rake controversy or whatever, or the criticism that they were giving the rule makers about that. But he has put in a vintage Seb drive, and, and that's what the team needs, you know, from him basically to do that. And whether in the future they can start winning races, not this year, next year, you know, if, if they can... He's the kind of driver that they want him to take forward with. So there you go. And for both Checo and Seb, you know, they've, uh, on the current grid, they've secured podiums for four different teams. So I think that's a very um, mean little feat to have. And for Checo to have two wins with two different teams in the hybrid era, which hasn't been done either. So, you know, poor old Daniel Ricciardo will probably be feeling it, as will Fernando Alonso. But, you know, Alonso hasn't actually won a race of the hybrid era. So there you go. So, and another little stat about Gasly, he secures a trophy for each position too. So he's got a first place, a second place, and a third place now in his cabinet. So well done, Pierre. Well done to the podium. I think it was great to see those guys all up there and just you know, it's Baku, <laughs> five different winners in the five races we've had there too, so we love going to Baku, simple as that. Um, looking at the rest of the field then, you know, so you had Leclerc and Lando come in behind in um, fourth and fifth, Alonso moves up two, po- uh, two spots to sixth as well during the race, and Yuki Tsunoda in the points there for Alpha Tauri too, so some improvement on his end, and a great day in the points for Alpha Tauri, um, getting two lots of points finishes, um, and then basically behind you had the likes of Science Ricardo who got up into the top 10, and then Kimi Raikkonen as well, scoring some points for Alpha Romeo, so great result there for all those guys picking up some points, um, Raikkonen especially doubling the points amount for Alfa Romeo from one to two but even for Danny Rick as well you know he just was a letdown in qualifying um, and he was able to score some points but unfortunately unfortunately what you know it did mean was that Ferrari were able to get ahead of McLaren in the Constructors Championship it's only two points so hopefully this weekend in France that can be turned around but you know it's going to be a close battle all season and I think that's what we're going to have to keep an eye on that the points differential does not balloon at any point unless it is in the favor of McLaren because then I won't care and I'll be really happy with that where is Valtteri Bottas or what's up Valtteri we should say he finished P12 at the end of the day and just failed to really make an impact at all all weekend and it's just becoming you know it's it's past the point where the drums are beating and you know the critics are saying he's got to go he's got to go I mean that's still happening but you get the feeling that you know maybe he also knows he's also given up kind of thing which is is, which is really sad and I'm always going to say it's really sad about any driver unless I have a great disliking for them which I really don't for apart from one one person at the moment on the grid which you know public enemy number one um but yeah you know it's really sad to see this decline for Valtteri and I don't think, you know, Mercedes are going to go down that route of doing a mid-season swap because I feel that would be really harsh and, you know, for all the criticism that Toto gives to to Christian and to the Red Bull organisation, I think it would be very um, hypocritical for them to do that, even if it does jeopardise their 
challenge for the constructors championship this year because it does look like you know red bull have the two solid drivers whereas mercedes kind of have one hand tied behind their back at the moment but you know valtteri could still put in a comeback you know we're not ruling that out altogether but the rumors certainly suggesting that you know come the british grand prix next month that there might be a special announcement being made by mercedes to announce um two british drivers for their team next year so you know if it's done, it's done, you know, what more can we say, you know, good good on George Russell, um, he'll need it to certainly prove himself as well consistently and get the opportunity to do it week in, week out, but yeah, just can't really say much more about Bottas because I feel like I'm repeating myself every week when I talk about it. There was a bit of a... Um, battle there into team battle with the Haas guys in the final lap too with um, Mazepin finally getting under even his own teammate skin so um, I think Mick came out ahead which was good but um, yeah that was a bit unnecessary there from from Mazepin. Um, Nicholas Latifi ended up with a 10 second penalty for not coming through the pits under the safety car similar kind of thing to what happened to um, uh, to Lando in qualifying where perhaps he was going a bit too quick and missed the entry, but yeah, that kind of ruined his race. He still finished ahead of George Russell, though, who had to come in um, after the red flag restart for, I think there was a gearbox problem. Um, But yeah, you know, a donut day, you could say, for both Hamilton and Max sees the, the standings unchanged, but Red Bull and the constructors, though, have gotten themselves a bit of a lead, and it was just hilarious all weekend to hear the war of words between Toto and Christian Horner, Ari the um, flexi wings, Toto even calling Christian a windbag at one point, so obviously Horner's getting under his skin a little bit, we don't really see Toto um, get too fired up when he's going up against his opposition but you know that's that's how that cookie will crumble and yeah basically he's saying that it was an unacceptable day for Mercedes they finished the streak of 55 races in the points um going back to the Austrian Grand Prix in 2019 so you know really really bad day and whether they're going to make it three in a row I, I I don't think so I thought they wouldn't make it two in a row so three in a row seems really far-fetched and ridiculous and I really given that we're going to the French Grand Prix this weekend at Le Castellet a circuit that Mercedes have dominated at the one time that we or the two times that we have raced there I think um it will be their race to to lose but you know Stranger things have happened already so far, so we'll see how that one goes. Um, and yeah, as I said already, Ferrari ahead of McLaren by two points. Um, perfect opportunity to give a shout out as well to Pato Award as well, winning another race in IndyCar. I'm excited to see Kevin Magnussen actually jump into the McLaren SP car there this weekend at Road America because unfortunately Felix Rosenquist um, has been declared unfit to race. He had a nasty crash there in Detroit, so wish him all the best to, for his recovery. But Magnussen finally getting that IndyCar chance, you know, which should have come in 2015. Um, if it wasn't for, uh, what's his name, Ron Dennis calling him back there to McLaren in F1. And also sad news about um, Mansa Roje as well, passing away, long-time McLaren shareholder, um, 
who passed away the morning of the Baku Grand Prix. So, you know, any McLaren fan will know Mansour and his contributions to the team, you know, basically since Ron Dennis came in and took over, you know, and he's been a silent partner, basically just working away in the background. And even just, you know, the point at which they removed Dennis, you know, um, and brought on Zach Brown to take over effectively, I think you got to credit Mansell for where McLaren is headed into this next generation, this new era. So really, really um, excited to see where McLaren is going. They announced that they're going to, they have an option to get on the Extreme E grid as well. You know, they're looking at Formula E, sports cars, who knows, you know. So it's it's all down to, you know, some of the contributions, a lot of the contributions made by uh, Mr. OJ, and yeah, may he rest in peace, and uh, hopefully McLaren will do him proud, and some news out of Williams also with um, Simon Simon Roberts, the team principal, unfortunately out of the team now, so um, even though he was made team principal on a permanent basis coming into this year, the new Williams CEO and Jost Capito has undergone or completed that 100-day review that he did or his first 100 days in charge and has already done a restructure. So basically, rather than having two people reporting to him, he's going to have his technical director who will basically be in charge of trackside operations, FX de Maison, um, de Maison, who was working for him there at uh, VW as well, and they've kind of cut out Roberts, unfortunately. So I'm sure Roberts will pop up somewhere else on the grid with the experience that he has. But for Williams, you know, it's it's a good way to streamline their management and, you know, really just take that team into the future with the way they do things. So, yeah, that's that's all the, the Baku thoughts and everything. Um, quickly on France as well, you know, not much to preview given that we weren't there last year. But also, just it's such a it was such a drag of a race <laughs> when we were there in 2019, and it was great to see it backed up. You know, one of the worst races in the hybrid era, backed up by one of the best there in Austria 19, which you know saw those Mercedes. That was the last time Mercedes failed to finish or score points, both of them in a race. So, you know, I fully see Mercedes getting back to their feet in this one. But if not, you know, it's only going to be advantage Red Bull. Um, I think as well, given the fact that this is a circuit with downforce involved as well, that Ferrari aren't going to be benefiting like they did there in Baku and in Monaco. Perhaps things will look towards McLaren, um, Alpine, the French team, how are they going to go? They'll probably want to do well on home soil, as will the French drivers then, Ocon and um, Gasly, and quickly on Ocon as well. You know, he had that retirement there in, in Baku, but a landmark three-year deal uh, to stay there at Alpine, so that I think would have surprised a few, um, given that, you know, there are a lot of Ocon critics out there, which one of them was me, i got to say, you know, and not saying that I still don't give him a bit of grief, but, you know, he didn't really, it was hard for him last year, given that he was coming back after a year out of the sport, but he really started to um, gained some momentum, he's been on the podium now, he was there at the um, Sakia Grand Prix, and this year he's done really well just to to be ahead of Alonso wherever he can, you know, and Alonso is no slouch, obviously, um, but it just shows the intent, I think, from Alpine as well, committing to, and not only 
sorry, just committing, but, you know, their new management committing to this driver and thinking that he can take them forward. So, you know, to sign a three-year deal, you never know with Alonso if he'll stay around or not, but, you know, Ocon, I think it's finally going to give him a chance to really show his potential, which is something I don't think we've seen quite yet. So, but it is a bit of a kick in the guts to those junior drivers that Alpine has plenty of, you know, your Oscar Piastri, your Guan Yu Zhou, um, all those guys looking to get into F1 sooner rather than later. But, you know, Alonso is a mercurial one, so I wouldn't rule out him possibly even uh, deciding to retire at the end of next year or whatever and allow one of those young guys to come through. But it, it's really good for Ocon because I think we'll finally get to see his potential. So, yeah, and I wanted to share some thoughts on the calendar situation as well, which I kind of have been doing every time I um, come on air and everything. And, you know, Singapore was the latest race to be cancelled. Um, it's also a race that doesn't have a contract beyond the end of this year too, so that'll be interesting going into next year, whether they can secure a spot on the grid for um, for the Marina Bay Street race. But, you know, this weekend marks the start of the French-Austrian triple header. We're going to have back-to-back uh, -back races in Austria straight after this. But, you know, to substitute for not having Canada last week or and then they were supposed to do Turkey and everything, they got cancelled too. You know, talks of now there being a doubleheader in Austin to fill in um, China still on the reserve. And the biggest issue is the the travel restrictions and the quarantine requirements of each country and some of the other countries that at the moment that are at risk, you know, Japan, Mexico, Brazil, Australia, you know, I'm confident now that I don't think the Australian Grand Prix will happen this year in Melbourne, you know, given that we're coming out of another lockdown, the federal government doesn't seem any closer to um, opening up those travel restrictions, the mandatory quarantine as well. And you also look at the UK and where they're banning their citizens from traveling so and a lot of the teams obviously based out of the UK a lot of the staff is from the UK um, they can't go to places like Turkey or Bahrain for example now even though we've already been to Bahrain so you know at this point I'm kind of consigned to the fact that we'll probably get 21 or 22 races in if we do get that back-to-back um, doubleheader in Austin um, Turkey could be a possibility I don't think China is on the cards but if we don't get these races, is it a big loss? And yes, in the sense financially, because, you know, you've got advertisers, you've got TV people, TV deals and everything, um, and they're not going to get cut prices from, um, they're not going to get cut price deals from F1, you know, they've still got to pay their way. But if they don't have the content to show, then, you know, it's the networks or the broadcasters that are going to be, um, coming in at a loss and whether they can sustain that level of um, commitment to the sport if we're not getting all those races in. So from that perspective, you understand why they've got to push to have as many races as possible, while I think it's kind of just just silly, you know, doing these double headers and back-to-backs and or whatever. Um, for Austin, I think it's going to be rewarding because, um, you know, the fans there in the US, they haven't had, they've you know, been hit pretty hard by COVID, not that, you know, any other country hasn't been hit, but, you know, they're quite passionate, they'll be out in force there at the Circuit of the Americas, and I think they'll really have a good time, so, you know, 
for that reason, I think, yeah, you know, we've got to do it. But also, if it does end up to the point where you can't get all those races in, just cut your losses and plan for next year, you know. Melbourne will be on the calendar next year. Hope Just try and target for it to be the first race in March, as always, you know, and hopefully the restrictions will be lifted by then or they can organise it so that they can do their two weeks quarantine and then hit the track. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I reckon we've still got races to come this year that we're going to see cancelled. And, yeah, 21, 22 races might be the most we see. So, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, before we wrap things up, we got the supercars on in Darwin this weekend. Been a while since we've had some supercars action, of course, and all due to the fact that we had the Winton round postponed, unfortunately, due to that breakout that we did have here in, in Victoria and in Melbourne for, for COVID. But yeah, those guys will be back on track, the usual pre-race sprint weekend. Um, not going to really have any complaints about the weather. Would love it up there, up, up, up in the top end this time of year. Um, some important things, of course, there'll be some wild cards there, Thomas Randall and Kirk Estegi. Um it's been a great circuit for Shell V Power Racing, obviously. They've got a cool Indigenous livery that they're representing this weekend, so they'll be hoping to carry on the form from the bend. Yeah, it's the bend the last time that we had a supercars race, so that's gone back a fair way, and it was the Fords that dominated there, so can they have a good weekend as well, try and get some more points back on SVG? We heard during the week that um, Chas Mostert got a long-term uh, deal or an extension there with Balkanshaw and Dreddy United, so he's staying put at that team, which I think is really good. You know, they've started something really great, those those um, the, that partnership, and I really think it can um, bloom. But also, you know, some of the people who were hoping that he would defect, defect over to Triple Eight and replace... Um, Jamie Wincup at the end of this year or for next year, it, that won't be happening. So the hunt still goes on for who will replace Wincup next year. Um, some sad news as well in the form of, um, I'm sure I mentioned this before, but announcement came um, a while back that uh, Neil Crompton, the voice of supercars, uh, has been diagnosed with prostate cancer and he's had his surgery and he's currently recovering, so he's going to miss this weekend, so they'll be splitting the commentary between Chad Nalon and Garth Tander, which I think, you know, Garth has been quite um, great in the commentary box since he's been called up, and, you know, Chad is, Chad is just Chad, you know, he's just excellent at um, what he does, so they'll be up there with Scaifey. <laughs> um, I think I'll be more irritated to hear more of Mark Scaife than I will be of anyone else, but, um, yeah, you know, all the best to Crompton, um, hope he gets well, and, yeah, you know, he's a legend. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Don't don't really have much more to discuss. I'm hoping that I can be on air next week, um, the usual Thursday, to wrap up uh, the French Grand Prix for you and also preview Austria. But otherwise, yeah, stay safe, stay healthy, and um, see you guys next time. Oh, yeah, we're on Twitter, too, at Hit the Apex Media. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>